Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. I am your host, Dr. Sarah Webb. This podcast is the audio experience of my weekly live streams on Instagram, which I do every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like what you hear today, be sure to subscribe and share. You can also get lots more content at colorismhealing.com. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another weekly live series with me, Dr. Sarah L. Webb, the founder of Colorism Healing. I do these every week on Mondays at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and the topic is always colorism. This week, I'm really excited about the topic. It's really at the core, at the essence of a lot of my purpose for doing colorism healing, and that is looking at the impact of colorism on self-esteem for dark-skinned girls and women and femmes. And I want to start with a quote that from a poem that says, show me someone not full of herself and I'll show you a hungry person. That quote is by the one and only Nikki Giovanni in her poem, For a Woman Whose Voice I Love. For a lady whose voice I love. And so before we really get into that topic, I do wanna warm us up by just saying hello. So if you're tuning in, thank you for joining me. Be sure to say hello in the comments. I do like interactive lives. So say hello, let me know where you're watching from and feel free to pose questions or make comments throughout the live stream. I will pause periodically to read your comments or respond to questions. And a little bit more about me in case you're newish to this page is that I started Colorism Healing in 2013 and it includes a lot of content. So yes, there's Instagram, but there's a whole archive on Instagram that goes back a few years. And then I also have a website, colorismhealing.com with archives that go even further back than my Instagram archives. I will be saving all my live streams to Instagram so you can go back and look at the ones from last year. I save them to YouTube. So subscribe if you're not subscribed on YouTube. I save them in podcast format as well. And I'm also on all these other platforms, TikTok, LinkedIn. I'm even on Pinterest, y'all. So you can find me. It's easy to find me. And I do have, I've put out a lot of content. So if you're really hungry, you will have plenty to chew on. (laughs) And I do also offer speaking, coaching, and consulting and books, right? So I've been putting out books to help facilitate awareness of colorism as well as solutions and healing to colorism. So let's see who's joining us. I saw a few comments coming in already, I think. Did I see comments or did I just see names? (laughs) Hey, Pamela Joffrin. Welcome, welcome. Hello from Chicago. This is HT Revin 2 or H Trevin 2. I'm a former Illinois resident, so shout out to the Midwest. Um, we are live from Brooklyn, New York. This is Brown Skin Bree. Hey, Brown Skin Bree. I haven't gotten to Brooklyn yet. I got to Harlem almost a month ago, and I've done a lot of Harlem stuff. And I did a little bit of Queen stuff, like Long Island City stuff. But I'm definitely, I definitely have Brooklyn in my sights 
as a possible stop in the near future. Um, hi, yes. Chicago in the house, J dot underscore 90. Okay, okay, <laughs> Chat town. Um, so if you're just joining me, my lives are always about colorism. So the past two weeks, I, I've been talking about prejudice and bias. Explicit prejudice as well as implicit bias. So again, you can go back and watch those on the on my page or on YouTube or whatever. And so this week I want to pose the question, you know, what happens when those biases and those prejudices are turned inward? Because oftentimes when we're talking about bias and prejudice, we're focused on having it directed to other people. But then what does it mean when we internalize the prejudice and the bias and the discrimination we've experienced are the the racist, colorist, sexist, misogynoirist narratives that we've experienced. And this is going to be partly a review of a live stream I did last March. So when I say I've been doing live streams, I was surprised that it was that long ago when I went back to look at the date. It was like the beginning of March, like the first week in March. I did a live stream on internalized colorism. So some of this is going to kind of be a review. But also, I want to look at the concept of self-image. And I know these words get kind of slippery. But self-esteem, as I understand it and use it, is really how you feel about yourself. And I also use the term self-image to describe what you believe other people feel and think about you. Right. So I'm going to kind of blend those two ideas together for our conversation today. And I'm going to start with narratives about beauty and attractiveness. Why? Because one, it's the most common one. It's the, the easiest one to start with because most people are, are kind of already familiar with how colorism can impact that for a lot of people, right? Um, Keeks Mills says, I love Queens, New York and only been once. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. It was really cool. I'll definitely go back. I have a friend who lives in Queens, so I have reason to go back. Um, so the impact of colorism on ideas of physical beauty and attractiveness, right? It may not surprise you if you're tuning in, if you follow my page, it may not surprise you that a dark skinned girl or a dark skinned woman who has internalized the colorism will perceive themselves as unattractive or less attractive. And I, I think that there's an important distinction there because yes, there are dark-skinned women, dark-skinned girls who at various points saw themselves as ugly, right? Just flat-out ugly. And then there are other dark-skinned girls, though, who might not consider themselves ugly, but they might rate themselves as less attractive relative to people with more Eurocentric features, right? And so I think that's part of the nuance. Y'all know I love nuance, which is why there's so much content out there. And so we can see this a lot of times in terms like, um, literally, I'm so ugly. I think about the young girl. I still think about that video that was circulating about the young girl who was getting her locks retwisted and she was telling the hairdresser lady, you know, I'm so ugly, right? Like that still, you know, I think it was one a year ago, two years ago, that still is like, at the forefront of my mind when I do this work, right? And she looked to be only be four or five or six years old and already saying, you know, I'm so ugly. And so there's that. But then sometimes it's 
comes in the form of saying, oh, I wish I was pretty like that, or I wish I had good hair, or I wish I was a little bit lighter, right? And I've had students say things like, I wish I was light-skinned like my mom, or I'm less proud of myself because I got dark over the summer. And so we can hear these kinds of comments, and that's a sign that there's internalized colorism there. And also in terms of attractiveness and beauty, it's not always that people might have perceive themselves as unattractive generally, they might only struggle with one feature, right? A lot of people who internalize colorism, it might just be their hair texture. I've worked with people who, you know, talk about, well, I'm not as, you know, insecure about my skin tone as I am about being dark-skinned with 4 hair. It's the hair thing that made the difference for, for them, right? Or it's the, the nose or their lips or their features. We talk about featureism. And so sometimes, a lot of times, actually dark-skinned girls might struggle to see their beauty overall. And then other times they might just struggle with one or two specific features. And these narratives or this lack of self-esteem in that area can come, one, because those features or their appearance was explicitly ridiculed i've experienced explicit ridicule right overall like you're just not cute you're unattractive you're ugly right but also it's the lack of positive affirmation and so when we look at the causes of this low self-esteem as a result of colorism yes it definitely comes in response to being bullied, being teased, being ostracized, but it also comes from just the lack of, of positive affirmation. And so you might say, well, we never, she never experienced being told she was ugly. She was never overtly bullied, but she was also never pointed out in a classroom of students to be the pretty student or to be the attractive person in a group setting, right? Or, you know, even looking at those specific features, if someone always says, oh, so-and-so has such pretty eyes, right? Or if you're out with your friends and there's a friend with like hazel eyes and everyone's like, oh, your eyes are so pretty, your eyes are so beautiful, right? It's not that they are criticizing dark brown eyes, they're just also not affirming dark brown eyes. And so this low self-esteem or self-esteem struggles can creep in slowly over time in more subtle ways than people might realize. A lot of times we think it just has to be the overt bullying, but oftentimes it's just seeing how other features and other physical appearances are elevated and lifted above yours, right? And then beyond the verbal expressions, we see how colorism it plays out internalized in an internalized sense based on behavior. And so you might, I, I know my audience. I know if y'all leave comments of examples, you would have an infinite list of comments, right? And so it's, yes, they might say things like, I wish I was light-skinned or I wish I had pretty eyes, but they might also do things. I remember teaching high school and I had a beautiful dark-skinned student who wore colored contacts a lot. And I remember I was wearing glasses and I switched, I'm wearing contacts today, right? So I wear clear contacts. But my students have been used to seeing me with glasses. And so when I came in without glasses, they were like, oh, you have contacts. And so I, was, I wasn't Dr. Webb yet. So she's like, oh, Miss Webb, you're wearing contacts. She's like, let me see what color you got, right? Let me see what color they are. And so her default assumption was that I would get colored contacts. If I'm, what's the point of wearing contacts if you're not gonna get colored contacts? And so those are some behaviors too. 
and we all know the classic ones, not wanting to get stay out in the sun, not wanting to wear red lipstick or wear orange or lime green or yellow colors and um, dating preferences, right? Among women choosing to date non-black people because of how their children might look and those kinds of things. So we see it in the words as well as the behaviors and even the way they interact and respond with other people. So I, I touched on this last week when I talked about implicit bias and prejudice. And so you can also recognize internalized colorism when a dark-skinned girl is struggling with her self-esteem as a result of colorism by what she says about other people. And so we know that there are a lot of us dark-skinned girls have been teased and bullied by other dark-skinned girls. And other dark-skinned girls can sometimes pedestal lighter features. They can sometimes pedestal the 3C hair or the, the 2C hair, and they can pedestal the light green eyes. And so they can kind of lavish light-skinned girls or lavish um, non-black girls with praise and affirmation that they don't even give to themselves, right? That they don't even give to themselves, much less other dark-skinned people around them. And so I think, yes, we talk a lot about self-esteem, but I wanted to kind of break down some of the more specific reasons and like pathways, ways that that can look, right? So let's see what you all are saying with your brilliant, beautiful minds. Um, Nubian Excellence says, oh yes, that video was so hard to see. Yeah, talking about the, the young girl, so young, already being able to observe enough about society to know what's considered beautiful at such a young age, already having seen and heard enough to know that she would not be perceived, that she doesn't meet the, the mainstream beauty standards, right? And so again, it starts young, it starts young. So many times people say, well, you know, they're only five, they're only six, I'll talk to them about it when they get older. And I'm like, but our most formative years are between zero and six or zero and seven, right? It is those earliest years when we're most impressionable, when we're absorbing and learning the most, right? And so those are crucial years to be affirming and teaching children self-worth. And it is something that we have to teach. Thank you, Jendel Crutch, for buying a badge. I appreciate the support. <laughs> Love you, sis. Um, Lack of positive affirmation is neglect for real. Yeah, neglect. And people, you know, parents will often say, you know, but I tell my children, I tell my daughter she's beautiful. And um, I think sometimes parents don't realize how far the negativity reaches. And so it's not enough to just say it like once a day. Oh, you're beautiful. Or every now and then, whenever you remember to say it. Like it has to be conscious and intentional and proactive because the negativity, white supremacy is very intentional. Like the white supremacist project, like what white people are doing, have done over history to argue their superiority has been very intentional and very, um, what's the, ubiquitous. It's like, it's everywhere. Um, and that's, you know, it is, it is a form of neglect, really, especially if you're raising a black child. It is a form of neglect not to take, not to tend to their sense of self-worth in a white supremacist um, society like this one. 
Ambrose 21 says, I feel this. I, it wasn't what they said. It was what they didn't say a lot of times. Oh my gosh. Ambrose 21. That reminds me of one of my favorite blog posts um, called Brave Love. I was like, it, I said almost the exact same thing, right? Like when I say I empathize with my audience, like that's exactly it. It's also what they don't say, especially in comparison to what they are saying about other people. Then like that contrast is like, well, it's, I mean, it's smacking me upside my head. I can't ignore it. Um, Nubian Excellence says, ooh, that's definitely one of the indications that can be difficult to see the colored contacts. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the, I don't see it happening as often, but I feel like there was, when was I teaching high? So I was teaching high school in 2010 through like 2012. And yeah, so I don't know if it's as common now, but definitely there was like a, a boom of like colored contacts everywhere and they were being promoted everywhere. I'm not sure if they're as common, but I'm sure if they were, people would still be using them. Also related to that are the filters that change your eye color. And so I see, I do see that happening a lot more is that you'll have filters on social media and they change your eye color and it's always changed to a lighter color, right? Like I never see a filter that's designed to make people's eye color darker. So it's really interesting. Um, Brown Skin Bree says, I hate seeing color contacts on black people. Ooh, such a trigger. Yeah, I feel you. This is why colorism plays into parenting. If you don't see the beauty in your own skin, you'll treat your darker children poorly in response. Oh, that is so important, Brown Skin Bree. That's the biggest lesson, the biggest educational strategy parents can use is demonstrating and role modeling self-love. Because even more than your explicit teachings to your children, they are picking up on how you live your life. For real. That's such a good point. Um, yeah, I see Jindal Crutch say a good point. Blair Imani, hello, welcome. It's easy for society to say, oh, it's a self-esteem issue instead of taking ownership of the fact that is perpetuated by any and everyone that hasn't done the work of healing from colorism. This is true. It is perpetuated by all of society. And when people talk about, for example, um, the way a lot of dark-skinned girls respond to colorism, where whether it's their internalized colorism or whether it's acting out in various ways, they think that that exists in a vacuum. And it's easy to just say, oh, it's, that exists in a vacuum. They just need to go take care of that. And not being willing to do the hard work of acknowledging where that comes from and that 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 outcome was an intended outcome. So let's be clear, like the outcome of low self-esteem amongst all black people, amongst all people of color, that is the intended outcome, one of the intended outcomes of colonialism, of white supremacist hegemony, right? Of white violence. That is one of the intended outcomes is for us to hate ourselves so that we cooperate in our own oppression. And so it's not, like, oh, I just woke up one day and just randomly, serendipitously happened to have low self-esteem. Like, no, society is structured so that black people especially struggle with a sense of self-worth. Because what white colonizers understood 
is that to the degree that we loved ourselves, that we love ourselves and recognize our power, recognize and own our worth, they cannot, they could not dominate us. It required our cooperation. They still require our cooperation, which is why they respond so vehemently to protests. It's why they respond so violently when we do dare to assert ourselves. When you use the black girl magic hashtag and you get all the trolls in the comments saying, well, all girls are beautiful. Anyway, let me move on. <laughs> it's Alyssa, absolutely formative in those first five years. 100. Now, I know I got a lot of social workers and um, stuff that follow this page too, so they could probably tell you the child developmental psychology even better than me. But those first five years, 100. Intentional and loud. Be loud about it. Nubian excellence. Um, even outside of saying it, following up with action is necessary. Some may say it, but not necessarily practice that affirmation in their actions. See, this is why I read the comments. Nubian excellence, you are on it. You got to walk the talk. Okay, we got to walk the talk. And I'm, I actually just made a TikTok about that too. Like ways to not just say you're beautiful. I, I say this a lot, but like if you have play dates, if you have a, a month of play dates on your calendar. How many of those play dates are with other dark-skinned children who have dark-skinned parents? Or are your play dates all set up with, you know, fair-skinned or racially ambiguous people, right? Or non-black people all together. So being intentional to not just say you love dark-skinned people, but like, do you invite them over to dinner? Do you invite dark-skinned people um, to actually commune and break bread with you? And if you yourself are dark-skinned, do you show up in your skin in a way that is loving and that is proud? Because they, they feel the energy they do. Okay, Jendel Crutch says, yes, the negativity in white supremacy is intentional. So affirmation of dark-skinned features must be intentional. Correct. 100. <laughs> um, Keeks Mills says exactly, had this experience food shopping today. The store bagger was singing and giving compliments to the white and Latino folks in the line. And when I came up to purchase items, LOL, he left. Bam, fam. I am glad that you have this space to express that experience. And I feel you, I feel you, ooh, I feel you. Ooh, I feel you. <laughs> okay. Don't let me go shopping at that store. All right. Let me get back. Let me get back. Oh, side note, my mom is coming to town. She just arrived. She should have arrived already. And so I can't linger on my live tonight because I have to make sure she gets here safely and in a timely fashion. Um, but I could, y'all know I could talk to y'all all night. Okay, so I talked about that first little section was about narratives of beauty and, and um, attractiveness, right? But when we're talking about internalized colorism, it's not just ideas about whether or not we're beautiful or cute, right? It's also self-worth, broadly speaking. And this is the aspect of colorism that we don't talk about enough. It's easy to talk about the impact of colorism on whether or not a dark-skinned girl thinks she's beautiful, okay? But if a dark-skinned girl has been traumatized as a result of white supremacy and colorism, which I see as one and the same, and has started to internalize it, 
she might believe she's not worthy, right? And so, yes, there's a correlation to perceptions of beauty and a sense of worthiness, right? But it's not just, oh, I'll never be on a magazine cover because I'm not pretty enough or I'm not thin enough. It's not, oh, I'll never win a beauty pageant because I'm not beautiful enough. It's also, I'm not good enough for these job opportunities. It's also, I'm not good enough to make friends. They're not going to like me for who I am, right? And so colorism is not just about the physical beauty. Someone who has experienced colorism can often struggle with their sense of self-worth in general. And so here's some examples of how that can play out and why it's so, so insidious and why we need to also be building up not just telling dark-skinned girls that they're beautiful, but telling them that they are good enough, that they are worthy, right? That they don't have to be twice as good because they're dark-skinned. Um, and so when we're struggling to think, to affirm self-worth or feel good enough, we are more likely to tolerate abuse in relationships because think about it. Right. If I'm dark skinned and I don't have a lot of dating options or I don't have a lot of potential partners, maybe I don't deserve the best in a mate. Maybe I should settle for the person who's giving me attention in ways I had never experienced getting attention before. We're also if you're if you're internalizing colorism as a dark skinned person, you're also more likely to not pursue academic or career opportunities. Why? Because colorism is not just about perceptions of beauty. Colorism often influences perceptions of intelligence. Colorism influences perceptions of competence, of professionalism. Colorism influences whether or not people see you as the good student. Are you the model citizen? Are you the good little girl who we're going to make the angel in all the school plays? And are you the good little girl that we're going to, let's say, the Pledge of Allegiance at the school assembly? And so it's not, yes, if we, the children that we perceive as pretty are oftentimes the children we perceive as good. That there are studies that show that as well, right? That perceptions of attractiveness and our society align with who we perceive to be good, who we perceive to be leaders even. And so a dark-skinned girl who's experiencing colorism, she's not just going to say, oh, well, you know, the boys at school don't like me. She's also going to say, oh, well, the teachers don't like me. So it's not just about being attractive to the opposite sex, which is dominates the conversation in colorism, you know, for various reasons. I understand why that might be hyper-focused on for some people. So it's not only like, oh, the boys or the girls don't like me, but it's also the teachers, the adults don't like me. I can't trust the adults for, very, for good reason, because I see how they coddle the light-skinned or the biracial, you know, girls in class and how they roll their eyes at me or they don't even look at me. They don't display the same warmth and care towards me that they do to the lighter skinned children. And so it becomes this universal sense of self-worth that people can struggle with if they're experiencing colorism. Um, 
I see, I have um, five badges. Ooh, y'all are coming through for a sister today. Thank y'all. Aw, hearts. It's Alyssa, Modern Formulas. Hi, Blair Imani, the mom social worker. See, I told y'all I had social workers in this crowd. And Jendel Crutch, who's also a social worker. Thank you so much. Um, and then, so the same patterns can play out into adulthood too. And again, when we talk about those formative years, a lot of our adult years are just replaying, rehearsing the narratives that were embedded when we were five or six or eight. And so if you thought the teachers didn't like you in school, unless you do the work, unless you get the healing, you do the therapy and you do the self work, the inner work, you might continue to subconsciously play out the belief, oh, well, my boss isn't going to like me. My coworkers aren't going to like me. Um, I'm, I'm not that girl who can get the lead role in a movie or I'm not the girl who can um, start her own business, right? Nobody's going to pay attention to me. And that is all stemming from the fact that as the dark-skinned child in school or at the daycare center, people weren't paying attention to you, right? You didn't get attention. And so you feel like even as an adult, good things don't come to you, right? Like your options in life are limited because of how other people perceive you. And that's a deep one, okay? And that's why, you know, I do think it's important to acknowledge the beauty and the sense of attractiveness piece, but it's, I mean, imperative that we realize it's not just, oh, I think I'm cute. It's also like, oh, I believe I am worth fulfilling my dreams. I believe I am worth living the life I imagine, right? my highest pursuits. So this brings me to a, a third part, which is I don't see myself that way, but it hurts that others do. And so this is like one layer removed. So the first form of internalized colorism is I actually do think I'm ugly, or I actually do think I'm not worthy, or I think I'm not smart. I think I'm dumb or stupid. And I've seen that play out too as a high school teacher. The, the fraternal twins, the dark-skinned fraternal twin and the, the lighter-skinned fraternal twin who had slick hair and thinner noses and the, the lighter one who wasn't super light but was just a few shades lighter was in honors classes and the dark-skinned one with the broader nose and the kinkier hair texture was in remedial classes, right? And did not have the self-concept that, and this is a, these are boys I'm talking about, teenage boys, did not have the self-concept that he could do it right? So there's that. But then this other layer that I'm talking about is so common. And I know a lot of my dark skin followers have echoed these ideas, which is I actually don't think I'm ugly, but it still hurts me to know that other people do. I actually don't think I'm stupid, but it still hurts me and it still frustrates me and it still makes me angry that other people treat me as if I am or talk to me as if I'm um, incompetent, right? And so I think that can still play out in terms of feeling like you have to be not twice as good, but three times as good. We talk about black folks telling the narrative, which can be harmful in some ways, but is often used as like a, a protective uh, truism or whatever. You have to be twice as good. If you get your foot in the door, you have to be twice as good. And so for a lot of dark-skinned girls and even dark-skinned boys, that mentality plays out in a more subtle way. So nobody's 
usually you don't have people actively tell you or you have to be twice as good as you know the non-black girls because you're dark skinned but subconsciously people know right they can intuit like and so transparency moment i said this last march when i did my internalized colorism live this was the realm that i danced in most often and so I, I said subconsciously, I remember, you know, just this feeling of, well, I'm not going to get any pretty points, but I can be really funny. I can be really smart. I can be kind. I can be talented. I can be um, responsible and hardworking. And I can leverage all these other qualities about myself to get the connection and the affirmation and the um, validation to compensate for whatever I thought I was compensating for, right? Because I was like, I'm, I'm not going to get any cool points because I'm cute or because I'm pretty or for being the beautiful one. And so I, I knew I had to like run faster. I knew I had to beat everybody at tetherball. <laughs> Dating myself a little bit with the tetherball reference. Um, but yeah, and so in terms, but even in the the dating piece, to go back to that for a second, like that played out for me a lot too, because I I know even still to this day, baby, okay, that I am a great catch and cute as all get out, okay? But I really, my narrative for most of my life was that, but men don't see me that way. They can't see me because of their colorism. They can't see how great a catch I am, right? Especially black men. Keeping it real, right? I did. I never thought that people would recognize my beauty, even though I I recognized it. It was still that that tension, that disconnect between like why can't they see how amazing I am? <laughs> and so a lot of my narrative was like why why even try, right? So thinking about like job opportunities, not wanting to start your own business, but also like not doing a whole lot of proactive dating because I was like I don't feel like I don't feel like dealing with that you know what I mean but again for good reason because the guys who were colorists tend to be the most vocal so I you might have some guys say oh but I always thought you were so beautiful but you ain't say it and the ones who were calling me ugly were, were saying it quite often right the ones who were saying oh I don't date dark skins I don't I don't play in the dark right think about that podcast that everybody was talking about like those guys say it all day, every day, and they're loud about it. And so anyone who would claim that, oh, but I, I, you know, in high school, I thought you were cute or I had a crush on you, but y'all wasn't saying that, no. And so to my 17, 18, 28, 33-year-old mind, wasn't nobody checking for me, right? And so there is that other layer of, I could have changed my narrative, right? I could have taken on a different perspective, but I internalized those colorism experiences that I had. And so it affected the way I showed up in various spaces. Okay, so now I see a lot of comments that I talked over. <laughs> uh, ooh, I missed some good stuff. What did I miss? No. So we cooperate in our own oppression, Amber's 21. Yeah, we do. Yes, th that type of intentionality is necessary even down to the imagery that's up on the walls in your home the dolls your children are playing with the characters in the books in your home 
great advice. Y'all take notes from Nubian Excellence. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Amber's 21 says, the wounds are so deep. As much affirmation as my mom lavished on me, self-esteem and self-love are still a constant struggle. This is healing. Yeah, that's, I have a note about that, but I'm gonna come back to that idea, right? That it's, it's a, always a process. It's not all or nothing. It's not, I either have self-love or I don't. It's almost, a, it's always a matter of degrees. It's always a spectrum. You're always somewhere on the spectrum of self-love. Sometimes you're farther, farther along the self-love side. Sometimes you're a little farther away from it. But most people have some degree, even if it's just an ounce of it. And most people, even if they have a lot, still have room to grow, can still, you know, sharpen it up a little bit. Um, the dolls, that part is so necessary, um, from Blair Imani. Thank you. It goes way deeper than outer beauty. Yeah. Out of this world of 27. I'm loving these screen names. Oh my gosh. Y'all screen names are, are cool sometimes. This is everything. Cause Laura knows I was about to tolerate a good for nothing <laughs> else because I felt like my complexion deemed me unworthy of something better. This, see? Girl, you ain't the only one. You know that, right? Girl, you're not the only one. And a lot of times, it's not even like we're consciously saying these things. It is subconscious. And sometimes after the fact, you're like, whoa, whoa, that that was a thing. That happened. Um, yeah, Blair Mind says, knowledge production is labor, and labor must be compensated. Oh, thank you. Um, it can't be so mentally taxing. Yeah, Crystal writes, hey, welcome back. It is mentally taxing. The the game, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I know what you're talking about, what you're referring to, but the game of always having to hold those dual perspectives in your mind is exhausting, right? To have to say, oh gosh, I'm so awesome, but other people don't see it. And so then what do I do in order to navigate through these spaces? It's a lot. All right. Um, let's see. Let me go and wrap up because it's already 7.37. And as I mentioned, I got to get my mom who just flew in. So the last thing I'll say in terms of additional notes about self-esteem. Not every dark-skinned girl struggles with self-esteem. Not every light-skinned girl has high self-esteem. There are You can definitely be light-skinned and have low self-esteem. You can definitely be dark-skinned and have high self-esteem. And again, it's not all or nothing. It's all a range of self-esteems. In one of my first lives this year, I mentioned that in 2020, I realized that as confident as I had gotten in my life, like I still had like self-worth to grow and develop, right? Even at, how old was I, like 34? Um, and so it's not all or nothing. But then there are intersectional aspects of our identity that play into how we cultivate self-esteem. And I always use this example, I will continue to use this example because it was just so evident for me throughout my entire life, even before I became aware of, you know, like consciously aware of system of oppressions and was able to study and articulate them, was that I was thin. 
that made a big difference in terms of the intersection of not only being dark skinned but also being plus sized, right? Or being not just thin but tall and thin and able bodied and having a somewhat athletic frame. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that the hurdles to self esteem were not as high for me as they would have been if I was also plus sized. Because even though I'm dark skinned, my body type is affirmed all over society in magazines and movies. And so that was one thing that I did not have to struggle with. And so there was one less barrier for me to developing and cultivating my self-esteem. And for some, a lot of dark-skinned women, they talk about their hair, for example, right? They say, I was dark-skinned, but I was the one who had the good hair on top of that. My hair was always really long. And so I got a lot of affirmation for that. And you know, there are other things, being just being a cisgendered girl, right? Versus being a dark-skinned boy. Um, especially if you're a dark-skinned boy who's also queer and the stereotypes about that, right? Lil Nas X, for example. And so that intersectionality, I want to, like with all the nuances, it's not going to be the exact same story for everyone, but understanding the your particular self-esteem story, right? Understanding what the particular mechanisms were for you can be part of your healing process, can empower you and equip you to seek reinforcements elsewhere or to really acknowledge. Sometimes just telling the story is enough to free you from it. But, you know, I'm running out of time, so we'll just have to come back. And that is the goal, folks. I'm going to do a follow-up to this one. So this live, this session was mostly about just explaining what the impact looks like, like what that in negative impact of colorism has looked like for a lot of people on their self-esteem and their self-worth. I haven't even talked about the impact on our bank accounts and like our livelihoods and how we navigate the legal system, right? That's coming in later iterations. But for now, I'm, you know, I mentioned the first quarter of the year, I wanted to really look at that personal, the personal layer of colorism. And so as the year progresses, we'll be looking at relationship dynamics and systemic, this systemic impact as well. And so the self-reflection that I have for you is how full is your self-esteem meter right now? Because again, it can vary depending on life circumstances, but how full is it right now? How full is that self-esteem gauge or meter or whatever analogy you want to use, right? And then also reflect on what contributed to that. So if, if, if your self-esteem meter is a little low, if your tank is a little low, what are the contributing factors to that? And if you're right now, your self-esteem meter is really good. Maybe it's the best it's ever been in your life. What contributed to that? Knowing what contributed to the increase in that self-worth is good because you can repeat it. You can replicate that over time. And knowing what contributes to depleting that sense of self-worth or what um, neg has a negative impact on that sense of self-esteem is also really informative because it's things that you can edit out of your life. You can prune those, start to prune those things out of your life. And then my affirmation for you, my loves, I'm missing you already, but I'll be back next Monday. My affirmation for you 
I am a magnificent vessel for the abundant flow of spiritual love. I contain a healing spring of self-love and self-worth that is always available for me to tap into. I love myself first and bring my own full cup to all my other relationships. I fill my cup by cherishing and nurturing and deepening my relationship with myself. So again, this will be recorded and saved. So if you didn't catch all that, you can play it back. And I also have a blog post that goes up with the videos every week. So you can also actually read the discussion that we've had here today. So without further ado, I wish I could go back and read all of your final comments and questions, but I have to cut it short at some point. But thank you all. Love y'all. And I'll see y'all next week for a follow-up to this where we talk about some of the basic essential tools, strategies, mindsets, and approaches to overcoming and healing some of this stuff that we talked about today. Okay? Love you. Bye. Mwah. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and I hope you can join us for the next one.